Um, I suppose, yeah, running's always been an escape from something. So whether it's, yeah, school exams, university exams, just general stress, running's always been there as my way of of being free from that. Um, even things, I mean, when you're growing up, issues with your, whether it's family life, relationships, friends, whatever it is, again, running's always been there to sort of allow me to escape from that sort of thing. It's always been my way of getting away. Um, and so I suppose that's just evolved over the years. Of course now it's my job, but it hasn't always been my job. So it's it's just always been something that's been a part of my life where you, when stressful moments have, have arrived um, that I've, yeah, I've always sort of fell back onto the running. And to be honest, I'd say those stressful moments are, are always the times that I've actually improved my running as well because I've just put all my focus and all my energy into those moments. And Welcome to episode 6 of the Explore Running Podcast. It's been a pretty long time since we last spoke, so um, oh no. quite a lot to catch up on, but I'm, I'm back, uh, I'm Callum Crichton, and I'm back with my co-host Jenny Reese jenkins Hiya Hello. Jenny, how's it going? Good, glad to be back speaking to you, it's been a while. I know, I know, there's a lot happened, um, which is kind of the reason... We've been we've been off for so long. We kind of missed. I think we missed one episode because of just. I think it was my work or something. And then, just so we're going to be getting back, um, I was having to deal with a lot of stuff, uh, including my dad passing away a month ago. So, uh, we finally got back on the back on the podcast now. And then we're going to do it last week, but you were away. And so. Yeah. And we had we had a guest host lined up to actually record last night. But his wife went into labour last night and they had oh a baby goodness. this morning. So, uh, oh, congratulations! So that was uh, that. that um, but then I didn't realise you were available so so soon after last night. So maybe didn't even have to line that up. But anyway, here we are. We're back. So we are back. And so first off, um, you'll heard a clip at the start of the show from a listener who a listener or a guest who. Um, tells us how running has saved their life or how running has helped them uh, overcome something, whether it's an addiction or uh, stress or just running away from something, from getting some space to themselves and that sort of thing. And we like to hear from as many people as we can. So if you can ping us one of your clips, just record it on your on your phone, um, 60 seconds or so, and tell us how running saved your life, and we'd really, really appreciate that, and we'll feature it on the podcast at the start, and we really appreciate all the ones we've had so far, but we are running low, so give us a shout, that'd be great. So, anyway, on with the show, what's been happening since the last podcast stroke the last couple of weeks, and uh, we normally do this on a fortnightly basis, but it's been... A while, it's been ages. Maybe even two months yeah. since the last spoke. So it was pre, for me anyway, we were talking about me running the Baker Hughes 10K. It was like Correct. days before that. So that yeah. was the 5th of May, that race was. So we must have recorded on the 3rd of May. Yeah. A while ago. Yeah, nearly two months. Totally. So, 
So we'll have a, I'll have a quick run through of my running, I suppose. So um, Baker Hughes 10K, I was massively confident going into that race of a PB. Um, a PB before the race was 36.11, and it was ridiculously windy as it can be at Baker Hughes 10K along the along the prom and up the road as you turn the corner up back towards King Street. And so everyone was like a minute slower than they were hoping for. Oh, and I, I, ran, I ran 36, 57, I think it was. So it was the first time under 37, under 37 minutes for two years. Wow. Um, so I was chuffed with that. And I ran a good race, so I was, I was pleased. I was a little bit annoyed with the conditions, but I'd sort of, I'd gotten over the conditions before the race started. I went into a really yeah. good frame of mind. And I think I ran well because of that, and I overtook people along the the beach, you know, Yay, well and stuff. So I came. What was my position? Mm, I can't remember now. <laughs> twenty second, maybe I think. So I, was wow. I, I really wanted to get in the top twenty. I've not been even close to top twenty before at that race, and I, I came quite close. So yeah, that's I brilliant. Was pleased with that one, and then I was. Booked in to run. Well, I was booked in to run the Fraserburgh 10k about a month later, and then off the back, it's not a particularly fast course. It's a decent course, but it's not a properly fast one. But then when I did the Baker Hughes, I ran such a good race, but because of the conditions, I didn't get the time I was hoping for. I then entered the Metro 10k at the beach, which was two days before Fraserburgh one, and I was going to do them both. Um, but as it transpired, I didn't do the Metro one in the end because. Um, well, for various things, I, I wasn't, I missed a few sort of days of training and stuff when my dad died, and then I just wasn't quite ready for it. Um, you just need the time out, don't you, for stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, it was only it was only two days of difference, but it meant yeah. I didn't do the training session I was going to do on the Saturday before the race. I did it on the Monday, which fitted in for the, the 10K on the Sunday, so... I was going to the Fraserburgh 10k pretty confident, actually. You know, still confident I could, mm-hmm. could go there and run a PB. Um, but I was actually really quite humid or something. Okay. A, few, a few of us were like, oh, that middle bit where it was, like, wide open. It, there was a bit of wind in the way back. It wasn't in, like, Baker Hughes sort of territory. But it was, it was humid. And for Fraserburgh, which is, you know, pretty unusual, but it was, it was quite warm and humid and... And we had a bit of a bit of a struggle around to sort of maybe six, seven, eight k. Kind of, it was tough going along mm. there. Um, but again, I, I felt like I ran really well actually, and I ran a good race. And uh, probably I was fully a minute quicker than I was the previous year, and I ran thirty six forty eight. Um, That's pretty good. So I came six last year. Yeah. Time, time of thirty seven forty four, and I came six this year with a time of thirty six forty eight. No way. That sucks. Well, a better standard uh, ahead of me this year, but um, yeah, I was I was pleased with that. You know, it was it was probably about what I expected, really. Um, yeah. But you know. Um, Everyone's getting faster. I know. I know. There was a guy, a guy that ran at Metro, the Metro Tenky, a Metro club runner, Paul Knight, I think is his name. He ran a PB at Metro. Okay. Thirty-five, something. 
35, 30 something, and then he ran a PB of like 35, 15 or 12 or something at Fraserburgh two days later. Just absolutely crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that is crazy. I think he was he was huh. second actually. But yeah, so it was a good yeah, I really enjoyed it. And the best bit about that Fraserburgh ten K was um there were kids races before it and last year I tried to get my daughter right. along and, and enter the kids race, but she wasn't keen. She was a bit shy with that sort of stuff. But my right. youngest daughter was absolutely mentally up for it. It was a hundred meter race for the, for the little ones and she was really desperate to run. Because she'd watched her big sister at Sports Day like yeah. that that week, and then she was gutted that she wasn't allowed to join in. So she went first, and she ran her 100 meter race, and it was just brilliant. And then, and then my, my eldest daughter then got the courage to run in her race after watching her little sister, and she ran the 400 meter. Uh, oh, that's super well. cute. So, yeah, so that was really good uh, fun. So. Uh, I was really pleased we got a photograph with our medals and all that stuff at the end. So that was all yeah. good stuff, you know. Um, oh, that's really good. Um, so that was, that Fraser 10K, that was um start of this month, um, 10th maybe of June. Mm-hmm. Something along those lines, 9th, 9th of June I think it was. Um, and then I've sort of taken a massive back step from running and I've taken up football again, which is... A bit mm-hmm. weird. Seven years after the last played. You love it. You you often talk about how much you love football. Though. Yeah, so I mean, so that's of, quite nice. Yeah, I kind of fell out of love a little bit with football, playing football anyway, like seven eight years ago. But um, my dad was massive in football, and there was this thing, this story. He told me about um so we're from New Deer and he, he was a really, really good football player and he played at a higher level and I played at a bit. When he was thirty five he went back and played for New Deer, the amateur team. And he got the hmm. player of the player of the year award when he was thirty eight. And, uh, and I'm thirty seven, so I was like, hmm, I'll try to go back and have a go and see if I can get that next season oh, or something. So sweet. I don't know if that's even uh, remotely so possible, but you know, it's I've been back for a few weeks and it's been really good fun actually. So Yeah. Still, still I can running. Why. Yeah, still, still running, and uh, the big thing, the only, well, the only thing I'm really thinking about now, running-wise, is this uh, Mormon Hill 12-hour challenge. Yeah. Properly announced on Facebook and everything. We've got some. Yeah. We've got a group of volunteers and stuff, and so that's happening on the 14th of September. We're running up and down. It's an eight. It's four miles up, four miles down, two peaks of Mormon Hill. It's been eight miles. <laughs> um, obviously, four up, four down, eight. So eight miles per lap, and we just try and run as many of them as we can in twelve hours. So oh, that's brilliant. Nothing like that before in my life. Um, so it's a totally new thing. But I've got the, I've got the ultra, ultra training started. Um, Good. Last, well, I did. I did two laps. Last week, um, which was like, I went by heart rate, so keeping the heart rate below a certain level and up and down the the Mormon Hill twice, so 16 miles last weekend, and I was pretty surprised at the pace I was able to do that, despite keeping the heart rate low, so the way that it would work out if you did it for a full 12 hours, it would be like 80 miles. <laughs> oh my god. So I'm like, I'm not, I'm not under any illusions I'm going to do that, but um, I imagined I would be like having to walk up all the hills and stuff. But I, I had to walk a couple of times to keep the heart in check. But yeah. then I went 
up on Sunday morning. So a week later, I did three laps of 24 miles, same thing again. And I was able mm -hmm. to control, control the heart rate with, without walking. So, um, mm -hmm. But the average was slightly slower for the whole thing. But still, yeah. Like, yeah. Something like 78 miles pace or something. So, yeah, and I'm going to try Saturday morning. I'm going to go out and... Uh, and go for four laps, so it'll be a 32 miler, which is like the longest I've ever ran. So, Crazy. like, amazing how, amazing how doing that heart rate thing, how doable it was. I mean, the 60 miler mm -hmm. was like so easy, so so. Yeah. Easy. Um, the 24 miler wasn't as easy, but I had, I mean, I was out for three hours and 38 minutes with zero. Mm -hmm. Hadn't eaten anything, had zero hydration or gels or anything mm -hmm. with me. So. I would do that this weekend. I'll, um, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll at least take some gels with me yeah. and have some breakfast before it. But um, yeah, so I mean that's great. I mean, I'm much different. My, my legs are sore all week from playing football, but um, <laughs> totally different sort of running. So yeah. anyway, that, that's my sort of not so brief update. What's you were just about to get back into running, I think. Um, yeah. And, yeah. Clear, and then you were like. Uh, you did. I said on the podcast, I bet you'll be out doing some crazy 70-mile training run or something a week later, and it wasn't far off that. I can't remember what it was you did, but it was a massive run. Out in the well, uh, I just had a bit of a nightmare. So I did... I, did, I can't even remember the order of play, but I went on my birthday. I was in the Lake District for a three-day mountain marathon, oh. and... It was just mental ups and downs, and my knee just wasn't ready for it at all. So that was a nightmare, and I just had to really turn back the running, and then the physio was like, no more hills, no more trail, just get fixed. So I had to really be careful what I was running on and stick with tar if I could stick on flat I did the Catherine Trail and it was pretty that, slow that's um, the one you did actually that's right yeah and that was a test so I went into that knowing well, that I, I had to interrupt for the listener's benefit that's a 55 miler isn't it <laughs> yeah. It, yeah well it's a bit more than that I think it's 57 yeah oh, well, 57 yeah sorry 57 miler, yeah. Yeah. But it was good. Um, yeah. I took it easy, did everything I was told, and it was it was sore, but it was no... I finished no worse off than a lot of people would have been just running that distance yeah. anyway. So I had a strong finish. I felt good, and I, I wasn't any worse at the end than I was at the beginning, so it was a good test. It's pretty flat, the Catherine. It's, it's, quite, it's a good route. It's got hills in it, but it's runnable, really runnable. Where, where um, is so that? that was where it's is that? It, the Spittle of Glen So you run, ah, yeah, okay. you do a big loop basically to Blair Gowrie and then head back again. So it's like Aylith and Kirkmichael and all these places. So it's mostly trail, a couple of bits of road mixed in. It's amazing. It's, a really, it's, it's one of the best races. When, um, when's the year is that? Is that in uh, I think it's the end of May. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what the date will be for next year, so yeah, I'll be out yeah. soon. But it never fills up um, terribly, you know. It's a great ah, okay. ultra. Mm -hmm. It's a, a, a great one for that distance. If 
people are wanting to get into that kind of mileage, you know, a bit a bit more than like the D33. Um, so it's good, but I did yeah. that and that was all right. Did Strathairn Marathon first time on tar. That was awesome. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I felt a bit stronger. So it's just I've been basically slowly picking my way back. I had a really terrible race in Arran. I went back into the mountains too quickly, so I did the Ultra yeah. Trail Scotland. Um, I actually got bad weather coursed uh, because of the weather, obviously. Yeah. And instead of it being an ultra, it was cut back to, I think we clocked about 25 miles, maybe. Um, a whopping ascent and very technical terrain. And to be honest, I'm quite glad it was bad weather rooted because I think I would have probably struggled doing the ultra. I think it might have been a step too far. Uh, just because I was done in by the end, like, I actually totally done in. Yeah, so um, that 25, how long were you on your feet for that then? And that sort of oh, it was ridiculous. I can't even remember now. It was <laughs> a long, long time. It was like 10 hours, something like that. Ten. But Rob, oh, it was something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it was mental. And my friend Rob, I wish I could remember. I should have written down the statistics. Um, he won the race and he did it in like four and a half hours or something or less. What's his name, Rob? So, you know, Rob Sinclair. Ah, yeah, so, yeah. you know, I mean, so he was waiting for us to finish so that we could go and get food and he had to wait like bloody six and a bit hours, <laughs> you know. So he met oh. us about a mile from the finish with beers. <laughs> that will teach him to run so fast, though, won't it? Oh, man, it was, it was a hard <laughs> It was a hard yeah. shift, but ah, I think it was... Oh, yeah, he's great. But it was a wake-up call for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so since then, I've been doing some pretty technical training, got back into running a mountain, so I out Loch Nagar last week after work. Um, I've got Larigru on Sunday, and I'm feeling better, getting stronger, although I just have to get acupuncture today on my back because I bloody did my back in at Duke of Edinburgh, sleeping in a bloody cat in a tent for four days, and I've got a bloody sore back. Never <sighs> mind. Uh, <sighs> things you do for those kids eh? uh, yeah but it's four weeks till Lakeland 100 and that's what it's all been about so I'm still in I'm still running the race <laughs> and it's been four weeks time <laughs> so, so what apologies. is we'll speak about that in a fortnight and maybe even yeah uh, I'll tell you all about we'll it yeah. have, we'll maybe have two episodes before ah uh, yeah perhaps. before but, um, and after <laughs> For now, I mean, obviously you'll you'll work this out closer to the time. But what are you thinking mm-hmm. your strategy will be for completing that? Uh, well, I've had to accept that it's gonna be a long, yeah, it's gonna be a long time. It's like actually not even a hundred miles; it's more, and uh, it's probably going to take me somewhere within the region of thirty to thirty-five hours of constant moving oh, to finish. Man. I know. I hadn't, I hadn't anticipated. Like, just if I do it in less than thirty hours, then that means I've performed a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's gonna be that's gonna be the big thing. So I think uh, really it's just making sure between now and then that I've got the right food in place. So I'm using mountain fuel mostly for hydration and for fuel, along with some all there's like ten. Uh, well, there's every ten miles is like a checkpoint roughly on average mm-hmm. so at the checkpoints you get like different types of food so it's just really for me is just to make sure that i'm eating enough that'll be it it's basically you know 100 plus miles with lots of picnic stops <laughs> yeah and uh, so a long you, time 
do you think? I mean, it's hard to know because if you think that three years, I don't know what the pace is for like a thirty-hour. Yeah, I mean, hundred miles. It's it's like that must be fast walking pace for. Yeah, yeah. Are you going to go? You're not going to go walk from the start, though, are you? You'll be running. No. Well, do you want to know? The thing is, it's a lot of technical terrain. There's a lot of climb. It's the Lake District, so it's all so big like, passes yeah, and kind of big run, hills. Run where you can, and then yeah, yeah exactly. Anyway, yeah, so. yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's all trail. There's minimal road, so it's just um, it's a different type of run. You know, it's a different type of game, really, from a lot of things out there. <laughs> So yeah, it's gonna be mad. But I'll be okay. I'll be good. I've just got to not hang about in checkpoints. It's tempting just to sit for yeah. that, you know, an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, when somebody's offering you lots of fine food in a warm <laughs> space, and you're tired. Yeah. Last thing you want to do is go. But I've got some pretty good chums. Um, a friend, Alan Cormack, who's sort of does lots of these mad things um, he's given me some pretty good things good advice to think about and I think it is that it's just you know eat if you sleep keep it short 20 minutes tops and then um, just keep moving really is Alan Cormack yeah. the guy who's like the crazy Iron Man he's like is that him or is that like he, do, he does he does like 200 miles he's actually no, in the middle of a the 200 miler in the tunnel was that Alan Cormack? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, him. I was getting mixed yeah, up with another guy who yeah. was yeah, like one of three Scots to have run a, done an Ironman in under a certain time, but I think that must yeah. be a different guy altogether. If it was a if it was an Ironman over like a gazillion miles, then <laughs> Alan's the guy. Yeah, yeah Alan, <laughs> Alan. Yeah, it was that name. That, I knew the name rang a bell. He's the guy. Who, yeah. Oh, he's a legend. Did, he's still, uh, yeah. one mile length of tunnel back and forth. 100 times for 200 miler. Yeah, yeah that's insane. Uh, that's a different level. So he knows, he knows about all this, you know, he's such a guru when it comes to mm. um, that kind of running. But yeah, I'll tell you all about it next time. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, cool. I haven't sure. actually read the, anything about it yet. I need to do that. Plenty <laughs> <laughs> right, of time. So, yeah. right, yeah. So we like to talk about, um, moving on from that, we like to talk about running stories. And the stories we're going to speak about this week are actually um, in elite, related to elite athletics, which you don't always talk about. Um, but the first one is the um, ex-IAAF president um, facing charges in relation to covering up effective, well, taking payments to cover up uh, Russian athletes doping. I think that's kind of the gist of the article. Mm. Um, I'll put links to this in the show notes. But, um, and then, I just, I mean, we hear so many of these stories um, linked to IWF, and it's pretty depressing, to be honest. And I just wondered what your thoughts are on, well, as well as that, actually, before we um, speak about that in any detail, there was a, the other story that I found in Athletics Weekly, which was Eunice Jepkirui, I don't know if I'm saying that right, Kirwa, who is a Kenyan-born athlete who, I think it was at Bahrain she was competing for. Um, she has been handed a four-year ban for um, EPO, I think. 
Yeah, Tessa Foster for EPO, and she was the Olympic silver medalist at the marathon in 2016. Mm. But with her being banned, the gold and the silver medalist from that race are both banned for testing positive for drugs, performance-enhancing drugs, which, I mean, I don't, know, I don't even know what to say about it, because if you're competing in that marathon, say, and you're going to be looking at everybody up the front of that, thinking, mm -hmm. are they clean? Not sure if they are, you know. And, yeah, uh, it's, it's a whole new more world. And more, yeah. So uh, we spoke a bit about it at the um, in episode one when Camille Heron mm -hmm. spoke about the, the the lack of testing in. Yeah, that's right. But, um, this is the Olympics. These are Olympic athletes who run in the marathons. That's the IWF yeah. president uh, covering it up. Allegedly, I'm mm -hmm. sure if it's just been charged, so it's alleged, alleged yeah. um, misdemeanors, shall we call them. Um, but it's not the first one in a high-profile sporting position like that has been allegedly taking bribes or others have been found guilty of it. And, mm -hmm. You know, it's I, I love athletics and I love running and I love watching these things on the telly, but it's just totally taints it for me uh, not knowing. It's a shame isn't it? Yeah. I guess it's the the, the uh, uh, yeah it's just the pressure I guess at that high end where you've got to where it's making a living isn't it for some people as well I suppose I, I guess there's loads that you don't know about what's going on behind the scenes I mean it must be difficult to know like what you've got to be so careful about what you put into your body because you don't know you know what has what in it and what your mm -hmm. body's absorbing and your tissue can hold on to different types of chemicals for different periods of time but I guess it, when you're in the Olympics anyway you know all this you know what you can you can put into your body or you should know I guess the coaches um, must know that information as well I don't really know much about that type of that type of world is just madness. Yeah, I know. yeah it's absolutely it's crazy. Mind. I mean, it's like, I don't know, I find it mad that people yeah. would do it, and then it makes you think, well, is that why everybody's getting faster? You know, are they actually? What are people yeah. doing? What are you know what? What are? What is helping people to run? Yeah, I mean, it's like you hear, you hear all the the stories as well that link into this about training camps in countries like Kenya and Ethiopia. Yeah, the altitude stuff. Where, where there's, there's not, they don't have the same rigid testing, out of, out of season, out of competition testing that we do in the likes of the UK. Okay. And there's always a question where if somebody, somebody, there's a female Ethiopian athlete, I'm forgetting her name, but she was the one who absolutely trounced everybody at the 10,000 10, I think at the Worlds in 2017 I can't remember if I was actually I don't think I was in the stadium watching that one I think I was watching that on the TV in the flat we were staying in but, but she ran like world record pace for the second 5k at world record 5k pace in the second half of the race or something like that and, and everyone just looked at her and went nah she must be doping <laughs> that was the reaction from just about yeah. everybody um, in the elite athletics world. They were just like, "There's no way she can be doing that clean," you know. And then <laughs> it links back to the fact, you know, she's in. I think it was yeah, I'm pretty sure she's Ethiopian. 
and they don't have the rigid testing and all the rest of it. So right, okay. yeah, I, I find it really sad that because it is. You know, yes, so do I. It's sport, you know, and and then you you have like all the ones who are actually clean, who then mm-hmm. can't compete for medals. Yeah, it's shit, really, isn't it? You know, it does. It does dedicate your life to it, it and then you, you come yeah. up short. You know, you come fourth or fifth all the time, and yeah. then five years or three years or whatever after you uh, person is tested positive, and you're like, well, I could have podiumed at that race. You know, yeah, where's that lead? Where's that lead me? Yeah. I know it's sad because I mean. Ugh, I don't really pay much attention to actually watching running. It's funny, isn't it? For somebody yeah. obsessed by running, <laughs> I, don't actually, I don't actually watch other people running very much or pay much yeah. attention to it. But I do love, I do love watching all the middle distance stuff at the Olympics and that. Yeah. And you do, you do trust, don't you, that mm-hmm. people have worked really hard to get to where they are by their own efforts. So, yeah, that's right. I guess there's time goes on, you know, they'll find better ways of testing maybe mm-hmm. before people start running and that'll be that. Yeah, because we, really uh, we get to talk about one in a minute, but sort of the mega stars of running of the past sort of few years, you know, the, the guys that have been blowing things away and not just distance running, but like a guy like Usain Bolt, who's just mm-hmm. incredible, but then there's always a niggle and doubt about anyone who's that much better than everybody else. You just think, mm-hmm. I, really, I really hope he never comes out. It never comes out. Of the uh, and like, but he's that. been tested loads. I yeah. remember watching a program about yeah. him, and it was, you know, that they were all over him because yeah. he was so unbelievably good. You know, it's almost yeah. a shame. <laughs> it's like poor guy. Yeah, because <laughs> nobody yeah, would accept it. Yeah, and I guess for him as well, you, you do have to remember that. There are well, he did lose a medal, remember, because one of his really teammates tested positive. So he had won right, yeah. nine out of nine golds, yeah. um, 100, 200, and the four by 100 relay at three consecutive Olympics. But then one of those relays got taken away from him because mm-hmm. um, one of his teammates was positive. But there have been a few of those Jamaican sprinters that have tested positive, actually. Mm-hmm. So you think if they caught them, they would have definitely caught Usain Bolt if he was. Surely, surely. I have this blind faith in some, some runners, and I hope that it mm-hmm. isn't blind faith in him. And yeah, I just won't read anything about him. <laughs> yeah, and the other one that there's, like, I mean, I absolutely loved Mo Farah. Um, you know, mm-hmm. when he was first started winning gold medals, I think he's He's not my favourite athlete anymore, to be honest. I don't like the way he's been conducting himself of late. But there's always been this question mark. People putting a question mark, I think, in some cases over him because he's so good. Yeah. And he's another one. I'm just like, I really hope nothing comes out about him. You know. Yeah, me too. It's such a shame. Um, yeah. So yeah. So uh, yeah, the the, um, the other story I was going to talk about. Because it just I just saw it today actually so we better talk about that was um the greatest marathoner of all time <laughs> Elliot Kipchoge who again he's another one you sort of think well I hope all he's done is is clean I think mm-hmm. I think him as well I think it will be I'm i putting my faith in him as well um yeah and he's, he's about to go for it he's going to go for his, his oh, sub two attempt God. again mm-hmm. and 
it's weird. I mean, the last the breaking two breaking two. So it was called last time in mm-hmm. the Nike one, um, which was in Italy two two years ago. Yeah, I think it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. And he ran two hours and twenty something seconds under those sort of artificial conditions and all this. And they're having another go in Vienna. Um, when is it again? Of not sure. I've got it on my screen. It's it's fairly soon, isn't it? It's like oh no, it's not as soon as it's October. Um, so in October he's going to run this. Um, it's just slightly under 10k loop, which is a, a straight bit of road. Well, I'm not sure it's a road or there will be traffic on it, but a straight bit of road that's got roundabouts at either end of it. So they'll be running, running back and forth for however many laps he needs to do. And, and they'll, they'll put in the pacers and the the, the car and all the rest of it. I did last time, and I don't know what they'll, if they'll do anything else differently, but they're going to try and go under two hours. Um, and it's one of these things that's got a lot of buzz and hype about it and all the rest of it, but uh, breaking two hours from Arthur and all the rest of it, but I don't get excited about it at all. I didn't get excited about the last one. Uh, really, I, kinda, I was, I was interested. It's not a competition, is it? Yeah, it's not a race. It's not a real. You know, I, I would. Uh, I, I don't know. It's 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 all very gimmicky to me. Yeah. I don't know. I don't it's like know when you it. get. Yeah, it's like when you get a Strava crown, isn't it? And you're out <laughs> in the village. And it's like, you're kind of like, yeah, I got my best 3K, but actually I was just, you know, like, it doesn't really count, does it? Because you, you you're you yeah. not in an event with other, you know, where it's almost like you have to sometimes earn something when you're up against other people for mm-hmm. it to feel like you've really, really earned it. Yeah, and I guess... Uh, for me, I anyway. I mean, I could go and do all these things on my yeah. own, but... I suppose like, you're talking about... Kipchoge in particular, right? I mean, maybe mm-hmm. it was maybe different the last time because you know he he, he definitely staked the claim as the greatest marathoner, and then yeah. when, he, when he when he ran the two hours and just a little bit more, it did <laughs> it solidified his status as a bit superhuman just because he physically could do it. Yeah. And then since then he's gone on and I mean he's he's won the, every marathon he's entered. He's Got the gold. Uh, that must have been before that, was it? The gold at the Olympics. That must have been before, actually. Yeah. So I can't remember. He's, you know, he's he's broken a world record, and his world his world record time is now ridiculous. I mean, it's under two or two. So I mean, to me, be by October, we'll be all over it. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, and it maybe is a bit more exciting because. And and for him, you can sort of I can definitely see why he's doing it because mm-hmm. well he's been getting paid to do it I'm sure but, but he's achieved other than breaking two hours he's achieved everything out there in marathon running already mm-hmm. and yeah I guess the, so. he's his possibility of breaking two hours in competition is pretty low mm-hmm. but at the same time if you yeah two minutes. Is what he needs to find to go under two hours, you know, and so perfect race conditions one day, mm-hmm. you know, and another couple That's of years' time when he's, you know, when he's got another, he runs like 120, 140 miles a week. 
all year round. It doesn't really taper, all that stuff. Yeah. You can sort of imagine. You can imagine him doing it in competition, and that would excite mm-hmm. me if he, if he went under two hours. But yeah. world record would excite me, but there's something a bit artificial. Artificial, and, yeah. yeah. And everyone knows it's artificial. Mm-hmm. Nobody's, I get that. Nobody's sort of yeah, totally. I don't know, it just doesn't... <sighs> racing excites me more, so if, if I had a race, watch a race, guys marathoning, and there were... Oh, yeah. It's the 10, excitement of it, isn't yeah. it? Better, it's yeah. got more of a buzz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but oh, I don't know. By October, I'll be probably quite excited. <laughs> I'll build it up yeah. a little bit more, maybe by then. We'll yeah. see. Good, on, good luck on them. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's a bit. It was. They were touting it to be in London actually, but it just got announced today it's in Vienna. So yeah, um, yeah, I can. I could imagine why you wouldn't do it in the UK. Mm-hmm. The weather's so unpredictable in the UK. Oh, totally. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, that's that one. It's, it's, it's a bit of fun, isn't it? Just a cheeky sub yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, well, just a reminder that we have uh, a theme through the podcast of how running saved my life. I mentioned it earlier about the audio clips, but I think the uh, leads very nicely into our guest interview this week. Um, and I will let her tell her own story, but the running has played a big part in in her overcoming an addiction. And we have kept this interview completely anonymous, actually, for personal reasons for the guest. So we won't mention her name, but um, we'll just go into that interview now and we'll have a chat about it afterwards. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, good to have you on. How's it going? All right, I, I good, good to be on. Cool. Right, so I pre-warned you, so you're under a bit more pressure than everybody else. Uh, <laughs> what's your funniest running-related story? We'll start off with that. Funniest? Um, oh, I've got. I don't know. Um, I was one time at Park Run. When I ran into a bench because I was looking at my Garmin, <laughs> um, and it it really hurt. But I, I Abdi stopped and was like, "Are you all right?" And I was just like, "I'm fine. Leave me alone." And I kept running. I mean, that was because I was looking at my watch. Uh, I, I I presume that was Aberdeen Park Run on the beach because uh, <laughs> it's a bit tight along there with the with the benches. I've I've had to go up the inside of them sometimes, but I could see how that would happen actually if you were. Not watching where you're going there. Um, I just at the start. <laughs> what's that? It was just at the start of it as well. Uh, yeah, it's just in the first key. You can sort of run it the adventures. Like, um, all right, cool. Um, so I really wanted to get you on to have a, a chat about your your journey, not just in running, but um, you know, you've been through quite a lot, and listeners of the show will have heard the audio clips that we play at the start of each episode, and yours was the first one, um, in uh-huh. which you sort of told us about how running had helped you overcome uh, your addictions, um, or addiction, sorry. And so I thought it would be really good to, to get into that. I mean, the one of the 
main ethoses of the podcast is speaking about how running has saved your life and um, whether that's completely true or not, um, I think running really helps a lot of people. And so we normally sort of go to that at the end of interviews and see what if people have got that experience, but I know you do, so maybe you could just take us right back to the start of um, how you got into running and maybe before that um, getting like takes through your story about your, your addiction and all that stuff, if that's okay. Yeah, um, I'll start with the addiction stuff first then. Um, I started using drugs and alcohol when I was 12. Um, I, can, I was brought up in a good family, um, but I just always felt less than and felt like a piece of crap basically and didn't fit in and, and then I found drugs and alcohol and I thought that was my that was my solution to life. Eh? That would keep me. That would keep me going. Um, Ken, and then I ended up in the care system um, when I was 15, um, and then I picked up heroin. Eh? Um, so when, heroin you were, was, when you were 12, what, what was it that you were involved in? Uh, alcohol and um, smoking hash, um, yeah. buzzing gas. Um, okay. And and uh, did you grow up in Aberdeen, in the city of Aberdeen, was it? Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm back in Cove now. I grew up in Cove. Oh, you grew in Cove, okay, right. Yeah. Um, um, and like, well, my behaviour and stuff was just out of control. My mum and dad couldn't cope with me, and I ended up in the care system. Um, and that's where I was introduced to harder drugs. Um, in a children's home. Um. Wow. At 15. Um, yeah. So I mean, was that by from other kids? Yeah, yeah. Other other people, the other girls that were in there, one of their partners used used heroin, and um, mm-hmm. I I was one of that kids. It was like I'll try anything, just yeah. anything it was. Um, and then, well, kind of took over my life. Uh, took mm-hmm. over my life. Um. And then I got into other stuff, uh, cocaine, um, ecstasy, just everything now. Um, yeah, yeah that, that, a lot of people were my life, and it's like hard to believe the day where I came from and how bad I came. My life, my life really was. Um, I got into a, a relationship and I had a baby when I was 20. Um, can my boy got taken off of me? This is how bad bad I was. Um, yeah. um, I've been in prison, um, rehabs. Um, honestly, I was like living in. Uh, it was existing. Eh? my life was just yeah. existing. Um, I, think, I think the the um, the really. I mean, I I told you before. I mean, I, I met you long after this stuff was, was out of the way and I'd, I would have had no idea any of it had happened, you know, unless you told me. But um, I think the, the really, I mean, it's, you've got a, you know, you've come out the other side and it's a really happy story, but the really sad side of the story is that it would be a really familiar story um, for hundreds, thousands and more of, of kids who fall into that sort of thing. And for people who have a no exposure to it, to addictions or people with addictions, it's just like an alien 
totally alien world and you know there's a lot of bad stigma around people who who are addicted to particularly drugs i mean there are it's almost acceptable to be an alcoholic because it's you know alcohol is a socially acceptable drug and it's legal i suppose it would be sort of leads to that but the minute people talk about heroin people just you know think the worst of folk and it's just I think it goes to show that it can happen to anyone. I mean, there's no, you said you were in a good family, and I mean, it was, you were 12 when you got into it. I mean, there's, you can't be blamed for that, you know, for one thing. I don't think anyone can ever be blamed for taking drugs. That's kind of the view I have. It's always, there's always something going on that leads you down that path, but once you're on the path, I mean, it must be a total and utter nightmare to get off of it, you know, because, um, well, it's an addiction, and yeah. You know, you, you said at the start that you used drugs, you got into drugs, to, that was your way of, because you couldn't fit in, you didn't feel comfortable and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I've heard stories of that before and I think it's pretty, you know, it's an escape, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's hard to know what you were escaping from when you were that age. It must just have been someone in your psyche because, you know, you could sort of appreciate it if you were not in a good home, you know, in an abusive yeah. home or something and you're trying to escape from the pain. That's a sort of common thing, but you don't make, you don't really make informed choices when you're 12 or even when you're 15, really. And, uh, you know, I think it's really sad that that can happen to, to anyone. It's pretty scary, you know, as a parent, it's scary, you know, that, um, you you think you you live in a sort of nice part of the world and you and you bring your kids up in a caring environment and all the rest of it and you think be safe from that sort of thing but you know I just goes to show that it can happen to anyone but um and I wonder actually I just thought popped into my head I wonder if that good home environment that you did grow up in helped in some way in, in later life and maybe that's one of the reasons you're one of the ones that got out of it I don't know I mean just sort of thinking out loud I don't know but how, how was your how was your journey from so you're 20 when you had my boy son. yeah yeah and uh, how how old was he was he just a newborn 40 uh, 14 months oh, right, um, okay, 14 months and um, so you'd have been 21, were you, by that time? And, and so from, was that a trigger to sort things out, or was it a while after that? I thought, because sorry, that I, happened... Sorry, I just said sort things out, as if you can just click your fingers. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> I appreciate it's it's not just like a decision that you make, but um, did that trigger something in you to lead you away from drugs, or was it a while... In all honesty, back then, um, I couldn't deal with what had just happened, so I, I, I switched to alcohol for a while. Okay. That was my thing. It was like, right, if I'm not if I'm not taking heroin, I'm 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 doing okay. So I just drank every day to to cope with the pain. Um, and I did try, but I didn't know any better. I didn't know, any, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, I kind of just thought that was that was gonna be my life, and I was gonna die. A using a using drug addict or an alcoholic. Um, I didn't think I would change. I had yeah. no no belief in myself. No, I or, appreciate how, how you would get to that stage. I mean, I've seen 
I'm seeing people who are grown adults have got who have got jobs and fall into it. I mean, um, well, my my dad was an alcoholic actually, but um, you know, I sort of used to think that you know I grew up in a small village where probably half the men were alcoholics. To be honest, I went to the pub every day. Um, not the sort of alcoholics that we're speaking about. They get up in the morning and start drinking, but um, but there were a few of them as well. My dad was. Kind of, well, he wasn't in the morning, but he was a night shift worker, and he would he would drink in the afternoon after he got home, which was like his morning, really. Um, but you know, you sort of—I used to think of that sort of thing as like an older person's type of thing. But I've I've known guys that I sort of grew up with in in that same village who, for whatever reason, you know, fell into the way of drinking every day. Finish work, go to the shop, buy a bottle of vodka, go home, mm-hmm. drink it. And then it became two bottles of vodka, you know, and that's a guy um, that actually died when he was about 30, um, just drank himself to death. And I mean, he had a, a good job. He was a, he was a, a brookie at the local uh, building yard and, you know, served his time and, you know, had a good job and had a house and everything and just for whatever reason he felt an alcoholism and it can happen to anyone and, yeah. and, and with other drugs as well. So, I can totally appreciate how once you're in that, that it's really difficult to to find some sort of self worth, to find a reason to to and, and you know and, and your son might have been that reason, but then he got taken away, so you lost maybe almost lost your reason for a while, I suppose perhaps. Um, yeah, so that was that was. Um, when you were 21, 22, um, and then, so what happened? So did you did you manage to stop using heroin when you started drinking yeah. alcohol? Or yeah, yeah, but I was on yeah, but I was on a, a lot of methadone at the uh, time. Right, so I was gonna, yeah, I was going to mention methadone actually because yeah. that's um, one of these. It's kind of controversial methadone, really. I think it's uh, what a lot of heroin users get put onto, but it's really addictive in itself, isn't it? Yeah, and they just um, get put on it and they're left on it for years mm-hmm. and not really given much of their help with yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's better, probably better than nothing, in that it's a controlled manner. You get your daily dose and it tides you over for the rest of the day, or that's the, the concept anyway, and it should be... Yeah. I think there are a lot, plenty of people who probably function and have jobs and, and all the rest of it who are on the methadone program, but um, I don't think it should be the final answer. No, you definitely. Know, like say, there, should be, there should be much more help available. and Because and, uh, like I said 10 minutes ago, I don't think anybody chooses to be a heroin addict. I can't imagine anyone in the world has ever gone, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow, I'm going to become a heroin addict. That's completely crazy you know it's people fall into it for so many different reasons so so um so yeah you're on the, me- the methadone program and you were drinking heavily um i mean that's for somebody who's 21 22 it just sounds mental doesn't it i mean well maybe it doesn't you could be through it but i mean i've got a niece and a nephew who are 21 this year and that's like I just can't imagine what that would be like to, to have someone close to you. I mean, how how were you in terms of your family and stuff? Were you still in touch with your parents, or 
Yeah, still in touch with my mum and dad, but it was very, it was very strained. Like mm. they were hurting, they were really hurt and worried and concerned. Mm. And, um, well, my wee sister, I've just got that relationship back in the last few years, but she didn't really speak to me for a long time. I didn't really speak, mm. to, and I don't blame her. I don't, I don't blame her. I wasn't yeah. nice to be around. Yeah. No, I've got um. A mate actually I grew up with. Um, I don't really see him much now, but he was a good mate when we were growing up in the in the wee village you're speaking about. And his older brother, um, he was a heroin addict, and I think I'm pretty sure he's clean. He's clean now, but he'd um, he'd gone off, and he was living in Aberdeen, I think, at the time. And and I remember I bumped into him a couple, my older brother a couple of times, and I could you could sort of tell, you know, he was probably on heroin or something similar and uh that he was always a really nice guy and he always spoke and uh totally and utterly harmless um but uh, the brother who i was good pals with just would have nothing to do with him he just wasn't interested didn't want to see him didn't want to speak to him and they had a little brother and he was he was i used to speak to him about the older brother to find out if he was doing all right and stuff because he did actually keep up with him and the parents were still keeping up with him, but uh, but my mate was like, just just had no time for it at all. I just I think he couldn't understand, maybe couldn't accept it, uh, and it would be I, I appreciate it would be really difficult. Um, but from the outside looking in, I kept thinking, well, you know, it would be better for him if his little brother was on his side, sort of thing. But it's easier to say that than to I suppose. But I do remember when I spoke to him a couple of times, and he was saying, oh. I'm not going to say the name. Let's pretend my mate's name was John. Um, oh, tell tell John I've got a job. You know, I've got a job. I'm working at the. I don't know where he was working. He was labouring or something. But he had a job, and he was just so proud. He wanted me to tell his brother, and so I did tell his tell him. But he just wasn't interested. But I think having spoken to the little brother, this is years ago now. But I think he he uh, got clean and had a. I think maybe got married, even had kids and stuff. So, you know, I think he he did eventually. Come out the other side, and, and I hope that his brother has now got a relationship with him again. But I'm not sure. I haven't spoken to him about it for ages. But yeah, that can be really hard on on loved ones, and I think particularly little brothers or sisters, because you know you always look up to your older your older sister or your older brother. And and you know, I'm, when I was a when I was little, I've got two older brothers. And I probably wanted to emulate a lot of things that they did and, you know, wanted to keep up with them and that sort of thing. So that's really tough to watch, actually, somebody going through that. But So at what stage did all of that stuff come to a head then? I mean, was it a rehab program or um, what actually finally got you out of there? Well, after a stint in prison, um, I... Um, had my daughter, um, who's well, she's near. Well, she just turned seven. Um, I could have lost her as well if I didn't. Uh, if I didn't go and get some help. Um, mm-hmm. So I was really lucky, and I lived. I I was like living up in Peter Heden, so I, I managed to get funding, and I got into a, a treatment centre in Old Meldrum, um, oh, and I got. Okay. The Alexander Clinic. Um, it's closed down now, but um, okay. place. I got in there for six months, 
Um, I'd done my detox, came off methadone, um, and that was 2000, October 2013. Um, I went in there. So that was six years ago. How yeah, old were you then? Um, 27. 27. So you were dealing with that addiction until you were 27. Okay. Yep. I didn't have a clue how to deal with it or what. I tried pretty much. I'd, every kind of help um, that was offered to me. I tried everything. Nothing, yeah. nothing worked till I, I found um, all that clinic and the, mm-hmm. the meeting, the, the clinic put you to Narcotics Anonymous. It's yeah, the only thing okay. it's ever. Uh, um, uh, I have absolutely no idea what Narcotics Anonymous is like, but I've got I've got a, a bit of an idea about Alcoholics Anonymous because not my dad never went in and like that, but we sort of looked into it, and I've I've researched that a bit before. I've got a I've got a thing about alcohol because of my dad, and I, I've sort of looked into stuff like that before. And there are a lot of um, there's a lot of stuff written about it that it's it's not that effective for a lot of people. But I don't know if Narcotics Anonymous is like that, and it just you know, works for some or it works for. Uh, lot, it's so. not like. Well, alcohol, it's the same kind of program, the, the same 12 steps, but uh-huh. it's anonymous, it's, it's like abstinence-based, it's an abstinence-based um, program. I've, I mean, I've got loads of mates in Alcoholics Anonymous and it's and they've got years and it, it works for them. Um, it's the same in any, I think, like, yeah. you find lots of, even like Christian rehabs, I tried one of them and it didn't work for me, but yeah, I've seen loads of people. Uh, I was, I was going to ask about that, actually, because any anyone... That I've ever known of that's been a heroin addict in particular. I don't know many, but a handful of guys or who went to my school or whatever um, that have came out the other side tend to have gone through some sort of Christian rehab. You know, they're they're avid Christians once they're through the rehab, and that seems to be the thing that gets them through. But that that isn't in all rehab systems and by the sound of it, I, I wasn't really sure that, that obviously not, because you tried it but didn't work for you. I just, oh yeah, that was, um, I, I think I only lasted two weeks or something, um, no, it was like the Alexander, and that was my second time in the Alexander clinic, um, that last time. I'd just seen it work for people that were close mm-hmm. to me back then, that any was working, like Narcotics Anonymous was working for them. And you go to meetings and you see it with people years and years clean, but will live in their best lives. I just yeah. you wouldn't even think that they used to. I get up to the stuff they'll speak about, or you just wouldn't think that it's pretty mind blowing stuff. Uh. Yeah, I mean it's amazing. I think anyone, anyone who is in that line of work or duty, whatever you call it, is a bit of a superhero, really, aren't they? I mean they're helping people saving people's lives actually because I mean that's where stuff like heroin addiction and even alcohol addiction as well but anything like that that's where it ultimately leads for so many people is death isn't it so um, I think those guys need masses of respect because I I imagine they probably have to put up with quite a lot as well you know um, it can't be easy working with recovering addicts I wouldn't think Um, so that's amazing. So, I mean, well done for for sticking with it. I mean, that's a long time, you know, from 15 through uh, 27, and then actually coming to the other side to the point where, you know, I met you 
was that last year? Yeah. Last, last year, start of last year. I mean, I would never have guessed. When I met you, you know, really, I mean, no inclination whatsoever that there was ever anything like that in your life. So, I mean, that's, you know, a few years after, but I mean, you were, you know, in, you're, you're a runner, you were doing, yeah, well, it was a job leader thing we were on together. and Yeah. So that's going to help other people and, yeah, just amazing, really. I mean, I I've, I've, can't even imagine what it would be like, you know, I've, I've lived a fairly sheltered life and got through school and uni and got a job, you know, the sort of normal way that uh, you do these things without having to deal with crap like that at all. And, you know, I think it's um, it's pretty, pretty amazing. So you, six years ago, you went through rehab and then, so what, and you had your daughter seven yeah. years ago, so... Um, what happened when you came out of rehab? Where did you go and, and how did you pick the pieces up, I suppose? I went back to Peterhead um, and I was there for a while um, with my girl's dad. Um, I, had another, I had a baby when I, I fell pregnant, sorry, again, when I was like eight months clean and I had, a, had my youngest daughter. Um, that relationship didn't work, so I moved back through here. Um, into homeless accommodation with my two girls, starting starting from scratch again, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just kind of got myself back into college. Well, I've just today I finished college. I got my HND. So Super, that, well done. <laughs> <laughs> so what's that? And that's the fitness, you know, health, exercise. fitness health and exercise. Cool. Yeah. I mean, what a difference, eh? So, take one step back. That what what is homeless accommodation? What's that consist of? So, um, because like I lived with him in his house in Peter up up in Peterhead, um, I had to like to like get a place of my own. I had to go homeless, and I was uh-huh. given a a temporary flat, um, up in, on the Langshacht. Um, it was pretty horrendous. <laughs> um, on a top floor, it was a yeah. baby. It was just horrendous. Um, it was yeah. freezing. But I had to do that to kind of like get on the housing so I could get a council house or something, is it? Or... Yeah. Um, and I waited. I think we waited eight months, and I got I got my first place. Yeah. Um, the girls. Um, was that 2016? I moved in there. Yeah, 2016. I moved into that first proper flat with my name on it. It was yeah, with the rules. It was ace. Yeah, I can imagine that was a great moment because, uh, and and you know, I mean, I, I mean, you, you've obviously uh, uh, it sounds a bit like the two girls coming along was the the sort of kickstart to you getting um, getting clean and and then kicking on from there and. The two girls, you know, wanting to actually have a family life with them, and that's where you got to. And you know, you had to go through that step of having that flat. I mean, that flat's better than not having a roof over your head, and you know, the the dangers that go along with that, um, especially a baby, um, but and a little girl. So, I mean, again, well done for for just getting through that, and then you got your own place, and and now. Three years on, you're you're back in 
and groove. And yeah. You've gone full circle, and um, and I mean, but you've got your own place for your, your girls, and um, and what about? You maybe get a comment on this anyway, but what about your son? Because I, I know that you do have a relationship with him. So, at what point um, did did that come? From? At what point did you manage to get him back involved it, in your life, or get involved um, in his life rather? It's taken quite a bit of time. I had to be quite really patient with him because um, his dad, his father is actually still out there using drugs just now. So I had to be quite patient and not push him or not force him. Um, and can I was, and not make it about me and what and like what I wanted. Um, but I, to start off with, I was only maybe seeing him once every every couple of months um, when he wanted to. Um, Mm-hmm. And today, every time he's at at my mum's, um, I see him. But his granddad, who looked after him for all the years that I couldn't, passed away just not long ago. So he's had some pretty tough times recently. Um, so I'd be like his dad to him, really, wouldn't it? Yeah, brought him yeah. up. Um, mm-hmm. He passed away just a few months ago. Um, so is, that, is that his dad's dad? Is it? Yeah, his dad's yeah. dad. Mm-hmm. Um, so he lives with his auntie now in Bucksburn, um, and he does come here, but he's like, at, he's at that age for, he just wants to, like, play his Nintendo Switch and not have human interaction or talk. Yeah. So how old is he now? 13. 13. That's perfectly, perfectly normal 13-year-old oh. behaviour, so that's, I mean, that's probably quite reassuring, even though you wanted probably just probably give him a squeeze every time you see him and <laughs> uh, all that sort of stuff. But, we hate yeah, he that. Would, aye, he wouldn't be up for that, I'm sure. Aye. So, I mean, what was I about to say there? Um, yeah, and I think you sort of read about or see stories on TV or, or things like that where you've got a similar situation where, you've, you know, parent and child have become separated for whatever reason, and then, you know, the parent is a bit too pushy, so clearly you've done the absolutely right thing by him, you know, in, you know, the second half of his life by giving him the space he needs, and then, you know, um, I mean, all all I know of it is I've seen your photos with him on Facebook and stuff, and it's, it it looks totally natural, and, you know, I think that's, you know, the best you you can sort of hope for, and then hopefully it just builds from there, and and I mean, he's got two little sisters as well, which I'm, I'm sure they've got a good relationship as well, which is cool. They've got a big brother to look up to. When they're not, when they're not annoying him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, it's totally normal, isn't it? I mean, thirteen-year-old boy and a seven-year-old, and well, is, is your littlest one five or four? She's four. Yeah. I mean, you, you can imagine how annoying they would could be, but you know, at other times so they'll be good pals. So that's all really, really sort of heartwarming I guess um, and, and lovely to see so um, so when when did you get into running then and how has that helped um, or has it helped is it just something different or not helped um, yeah. 20 well 2016 um, I started my my NC my sport and fitness so I was always into like um, running and like basketball and stuff at school um, then one of my mates who I met in rehab um, he had relapsed um, and he took a severe stroke um, and, he, and he 
he passed away. So there was like, I just seen this thing on Facebook about the stroke run, the revolution, resolution run, 10K. Oh, that I've, seen your, uh, I've seen your picture of that. Yeah, Vesta coming on, yeah. Um, I just decided I'm going to run that and I'm going to raise money mm-hmm. um, for the the Stroke Association. Um, and I pretty much winged that 10K. <laughs> I just winged it. I can't yeah. manage it. I think I've done a park run before it. I was yeah. like, "Tank, it'll be nothing." And then, yeah, yeah. um, I think I'd done it in 60, 61 minutes. It was on the beach, so it was nice and flat, and I pretty much yeah, kicked off. Pretty much going for for just winging it, you know. Um, so I it's just. A little step back, you, you were you said you were into running and fitness and basketball and stuff when you were at school. Yeah. So I mean, that's quite interesting, given that you know from the age of twelve you were, you know, you were drinking and using drugs and stuff, and by fifteen you you'd taken heroin. But you were still enjoying sports through that. You know, you sort oh, of stereotypical teenager that you. I'm trying to think of political words here, you know, you sort of, you see on TV, you sort of down and out, sort of, drug user, wouldn't be interested in anything, you know, like, um, you know, so I, I think that's, you know, maybe tells a bit of a story as to how you've got where you are in terms, you know, in terms of loving your running and, and doing your, uh, I forgot what it was, now your HND and fitness, health and exercise, fitness, health and exercise, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, that's probably where that's, well, not probably. I'm, I'm sure that's where that stemmed from. So, and then you got back into it in 2016, and, mm-hmm. and so it's pretty common. And I don't know if this is true for you, but it's pretty common for when ex-addicts get into sports, whatever sport it is, to become totally obsessive with them. <laughs> whatever. I mean, is that? I mean, most, most, to be fair, I mean, it's it's probably. A, it's probably looking a little bit too much into it because most of us who are club runners are pretty obsessive with the running anyway. But you know, it's almost it's a bit of a cliched thing replacing an addiction with another a healthier addiction. Would you say that's that would apply to you or or not or what do you think? Yeah, yeah. I I just went pretty nuts last year with running. Um, even in the first two years, I was just entering heaps of races. I just yeah. couldn't get enough of it. Um, yeah. Anything I kind of, anything I do that I enjoy, I'll become obsessive and I do it all the time. Yeah. Maybe that's just just because I'm an addict. Uh, everything's yeah, obs- I mean, everything's yeah. obsessive. It's, yeah, it's really common actually. I think, and and if if you're gonna have to scratch that itch in some way, yeah, I mean. If you do it with running and you get injured a few times because you don't run too much, that's way better than the alternative, isn't it? Because I mean, like you mentioned last year, and that was I was at the back of my mind when when I asked you that question because uh, it was well, first half of last year was it? Um, I was helping you with your training programs and stuff, and I I, I couldn't hold you back. <laughs> you were like racing. Twice a week, and thought I was like, "Well, if you're going to race, make sure you don't do the that particular session with the club, you know, and all." And you were doing all of it, and all of it, you got your you got your stress fracture 
Well, I, I think did you run? You know, you run your best 5K of that year. It wasn't a PB, but you. I think you'd run your best 5K time for like a year or two. Yeah. But then at the end of it, your ankle swelled up to about the size of your head, and uh, and then uh, you were out again, and it was a bit. It was tough. So that's maybe a, another thing to ask about. So if you've got that obsessive or addictive personality, that's the risk that you run. If excuse the pun, that's the excuse you run when you're running too much. If you get injured and it gets taken away from you, how does how do you deal with that if you can't run? I mean, it's a nightmare for somebody like me. If I can't run, I get like I'm climbing the walls. But if you've got a void that you're struggling to fill, um, well, last year I kind of felt really sorry for myself and just ate heaps of chocolate. Actually, I just ate anything out of that. <laughs> just pretty much ate heaps of food and felt sorry for myself. This, I suppose this time, if it was to happen again, touch wood, um, I would probably just find another form of training. It's not the be all and end all to be, because I've learned so much about um, other forms of training and what's good for me um, to build myself up, my strength up. Um, and, and I attend regular meetings, um narcotics and meetings, that's like that's my that's my support. Um Yeah, so that's a good uh, a good point actually. I, I, I didn't know that because I've, I've you've told me before, but um people talk about kicking addictions and that sort of thing and I don't I don't think anyone ever truly kicks an addiction, do they? They just manage it. And yeah. you've been you've been clean since what year did you say you were clean? 2013? Yeah. Yeah, 2013. So six years, but, you know, and anyone from the outside looking in would just think your life's completely normal and all that stuff, but you're still going regularly to these meetings to... Um, so what does that look like for you then? Do you go to a narcotics anonymous meeting and just have a chat to folk about things that you're struggling to deal with and do you yeah, or, help yeah. others or what's what does that uh, I like somebody shares their experience in a meeting um, and you can identify with it relate to it it's just about supporting each other because mm -hmm. even these last six months for me have been pretty hellish um, mentally I haven't been in a good place um, mm. and I've had a lot of support from it, people in NA, but also people in the running club, like who have made committed friends with, um, lifelong friends. Um, but that that's like, it's just like being with like-minded people. When you go to a meeting, people that's been through the same stuff, and usually in a meeting you'll find somebody that's had exactly the same experience as yourself um, regarding anything that's going on. Eh? Yeah, um, I think, I think um, one of the crucial things and, I, and I'm just this is just my my view of uh, of the world I suppose is talking about I, if you're talking and you're open I think it helps with anything um, and you know I think that's what I imagine for someone like like you who's now clean and you know whatever 
shit you're dealing with on a daily basis or a monthly basis or whatever, you can um, you can just either listen or talk or both, and and it just sort of helps you to get through the day uh, that day, and then you move on to the next one. And you know, I think that's really powerful, and I think more of us need to do that, um, particularly us. We say this a lot on the podcast, but us Northeast blokes are like closed books too often, and we need to to chat to each other and, and open up a bit more about our feelings and stuff. And, and anything, if we're struggling mentally or whatever it is, we need to speak to somebody about it. And I think that's really important. And, and I noticed actually sort of slightly related, but I don't know if you've heard of the comedian Ray Thompson from Fraserburgh. He, uh, he used to do the breakneck stuff, but he seems to be doing his own stuff now. And he's just, he's been chatting about this on Facebook for a while on his Facebook page, but he just organised a thing called Aberdeen Man Chat, I think it was, um, basically for guys to go and speak to each other if they're struggling with any sort of mental health issues. And just, just, he's got no qualifications or any he just thinks it's important that people speak to each other, and I think that's amazing, you know, just going to have a coffee and a chat and uh, open up and get a bit of support, and I think that's, that's great. And, and you also mentioned your um, your running club, so I think all, well, I don't know if all running clubs, but the running clubs that I've experienced uh, in the northeast of Scotland here are all full of amazing people, friendly people. I mean, I, I come from uh, a football background initially, and I mean, that's like, you can probably imagine that that's full of northeast blokes who uh, are all very macho and you know you don't talk about anything other than the football and how hard you, how hard you tackled that guy or how good your goal was or uh, whatever but um but um the running's much different i think you get out around with people and you speak about stuff and uh and it's really cool but your your club is is an absolutely massive club and uh you so many different levels of runners. So for anyone who's based in Aberdeen, I would recommend, if you're running, I would recommend looking them up and, and go along to their mm-hmm. sessions. Their sessions aimed at everybody and, you know, being part of something like that can really help with not just your running, but your, you know, your, your mental health and your relationships and all the rest of it. And, and I've seen from the outside looking in, that has helped helped you massively over the last six months or so mm-hmm. because you were as you said you've had a bit of a rubbish time and um, for whatever reason and you know you were sort of you felt like we were running a wee bit and you were like I was trying all sorts of things with you I was like just leave your watch at home forget about Strava forget about times and all the rest of it and and I think it's weird, actually, but the thing that probably helped you more than anything was, like, just not running for a wee while. Mm-hmm. And when you did start running, you seemed to just go right back into the club. And and then you started enjoying it again. And um, and that, I mean, I'm sure you can't, you, you couldn't have kept this up forever, but without doing, like, hardly any running, you started running, like, PBs, uh, left, right, and center, and then... I think you have been. Ah, you've been 
training with the club a bit more now, have you? And that's uh, yeah, I've got well. I haven't been. I've I've been to like maybe a couple of rep sessions, but I do my own. Uh-huh. Like what the club would train doing. I do reps and stuff. Um, uh-huh. and then I do intervals. Um. Uh, but like when I, I think when I got a park from PB, I had hardly. I think I'd run once in a week or something. I was hardly yeah. doing anything. Yeah, but you were doing other stuff, weren't you? You were yeah, doing other. Yeah, trampoline. Um, hey, there might be something in there. There can't be many runners who run PBs off of doing trampoline classes. That trampoline classes were brutal. Um, okay, yeah, it, are, you not, are, you, are you not doing it anymore? No, um, because it was on like a. I used to go to like the advanced one on a Wednesday night and it just totally screwed my running up. See, like the next day, my legs were just that tired. I was like, I need to give that a miss just now. Um, my legs were just too knackered. So you are in the advanced trampolining class. That's, that's quite sounds impressive. Where do we go with that now? So you're, what have you got coming up then? So you've run your, well, I, one of the things, there's a couple of things I'm trying to remember now. When when I first started helping you with your training, you were wanting to run a sub-25 5K yes. and a sub-2 Half marathon was that right? That the two yeah. things. So we got nowhere near it with the the half marathon because you picked up an injury during your your. Um, I say we got nowhere near it. You you run a PB. The Fraser didn't you? You run a PB. Mm-hmm. Um, but your five k. You like, you've taken minutes off of it, in the last few months, and you you got under that twenty five minutes, which was ace. So what have you got? Did you run the 10k? Yeah, I couldn't get. I got 53.52 for that, and I couldn't even get under an hour last year. So, I've so what is, is that? Is that your PB then? 53.52. Yeah. So, aye, so you've, yeah, you smashed that as well. I sorry, I forgot about that one. I so so that's we're sub 25. This is just getting my coach head back on. We're sub 25 with some. Good structured training, you would. I'm sure you would uh, be able to go quicker than that, 53, 53. And then, if you targeted a half marathon off the back of that sort of times, sub two is definitely doable. But, but it's like that's not to put any pressure on at all, because you know I, I I don't I don't know how healthy it would be for you to start chasing half marathons, given what happened last time, you know, and given how much you're enjoying your running just now and all the rest of it, and just, just carry on what you're doing, I would say, um, however you're doing it, and, and don't, don't, don't even worry about structure and stuff like that just now, you know, it's only, it may be actually sort of thinking out loud, you know, given we spoke about the obsessiveness and all that sort of stuff, maybe having a, having a structured plan that you, you feel you have to stick to and then if for whatever reason you miss a run it starts eating away at you and all that sort of stuff can happen when you've got a training plan to follow so it's maybe maybe it just works better for you just being able to go with the flow and yeah so so what is next then running wise um the junior street mile that's the only other thing oh, i've got okay because cool. um, i've never done just a mile um, and a time trial at Park Run. See how I see how I'm progressing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the Union Street Mile. 
That sounds really cool. I've wanted to do that for the last few years, but it keeps keeps clashing with stuff for me. Uh, and I, I looked at it again, and it was, there's something there was something on I think for me that weekend, or it's between the weekend between races I'm doing and stuff. So I, I thought I better not. But so your your park run PB is twenty four fifty two. Which is roughly eight minutes a mile or so. So, what, what do you reckon you're going to shoot for for one mile? I don't. I don't. I'd like to get under seven minutes, but that's probably a bit a bit um, ambitious. <laughs> it's it's maybe it's maybe ambitious, but I don't know if it's too ambitious. You know. Um, also, yeah. can only I mean, you're, you're, you're faster at your 5k than your 10k, so mm-hmm. maybe you'll get to be faster at your mile than your, <laughs> your <laughs> relatively. Who knows? I mean, you might. Yeah, just I mean, I think the thing with the miles is going to be whatever you run, it's brutal. Like, have you done? Have you done a uh, 3k before? No, I haven't. No, I like. I, I, I love. Uh, I love the Proms 3K series. It's just like flat, fast. If it's windy, it's a total nightmare. But you know, you just you just go for it hard, and it's like even if you judge it perfectly, it's still tough. Like you know, at the end of it, you're absolutely done. And you know, you like for me, I've been running for like 10 minutes, 10 minutes of running, and it's like every bit as knackering as a 10K or a marathon, if if not actually a bit more knackering. You know, in the just in the instant when you finish, but um, but you recover really quickly and uh, you could do it again the next day sort of thing. So I imagine I've raced 1500 once before as well, and it's um, equally brutal. So I imagine that you're running that mile, and I think it was really cool on Union Street running down. Have you taken part in any of the Great Aberdeen runs before? I've done the half marathon the first year. Yeah, I've not. I've not had the chance actually again it's always clashed with something as well for me but I was I was contemplating the, the, doing the 10k actually this year but um, I need to look into that but I running down Union Street a packed Union Street must be pretty cool so yeah I think that'd be that'd be cool um, so that's the only thing you've signed up for and then you're just gonna just carry on as you are I guess and yeah. any plans to get back into trampolining not just now, no. Hi. <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, I want. Was there someone else I was going to ask you about there? Um, my mind's gone blank because my six-year-old daughter keeps coming in and interrupting me. Um, I think my I think my seven-year-old is up. Yeah. <laughs> we won't tell them what time it is. Um, I'm also getting distracted by the football in the background. Scotland were beating Argentina. The ladies three 0 and it's now three two. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, um, have you got any advice for anyone who perhaps has gone through something similar to yourself? I mean, I can't imagine we'll have any people who are still addicted to drugs listening to this podcast at all. There's going to be people who are interested in running, but anyone who you know, maybe has struggled with that sort of thing before, or even some sort of mental health issues. That, um, what would you think have been the main things that have helped you 
stay cool, um, stay stable, that sort of thing. Talking, go talk to somebody, go and say, it says me that I've even just recently I struggled to say to somebody that I'm not okay, yeah, um, tell somebody you're not okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the the line went a bit poor there. So just yeah, you said talking, and and if you're not okay, yeah. tell people that they're okay. Tell, yeah, you're um, not okay. Yeah. You tell people that you're not okay. Um, if you're not okay, and that's so important actually. Um, and yeah, I think that goes for for anyone really. I mean, whether whatever problems you're having, you know, if you've got stress or, you know, I think you can just, you can release it a bit by, um, by just telling someone about it. So, um, yeah, so I think we'll maybe call it a day there, but thank you so much for, for coming on and chatting about um, all of your experiences. I mean, there, there, there's so much in there to, to take in, actually, and process, and um, it's really quite inspiring to hear someone who's you know, gone to the depths that you that you found yourself in, and just come out the other side and be on the outside at least 100% normal. <laughs> and uh, you know, you're as normal as I am. So let's. Uh, I don't know what that means, but um, so I mean, it's really inspiring that you've you've managed to go to the other side and you're you're um, bringing up a family and reforming those relationships with those guys close to you and doing really well at running. I mean, you're not just not just running. I mean, you're, everyone's level of running is relative. But I mean, there are loads and loads of people out there who would love to run a sub-25 5K, you know, um, men and women. So you've done a cracking job of that, and I'm sure, I'm sure you can keep getting faster as well. And uh, And that's all sort of less important than all those other life things obviously it's just running and as long as you enjoy it it doesn't really matter what your times are but yeah. um so yeah i mean all the best for for the mile which is a couple of months away and um and any other races you've got planned later in the year and hopefully we can see you chipping away at those times and we'll see you doing that sub two half marathon sometime sometime and not, not not necessarily this year or at any other time, and um, I'm sure I'll catch up with you soon. Yeah. Race either in Aberdeen or Fraserburgh. We both like to do both. So, um, so anyway, I'll let you get on. Um, thank you very much. Thanks for, for that. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so thank you very much for your time. I'm trying very hard not to mention your name. <laughs> um, but yeah, so what was your take on her story, Jenny? I just think it's, I'm just really grateful that she shared her journey because I think it's really important for people to share stories um, of how they've overcome such huge battles and I think she's incredibly brave what a wonderful, wonderful human I, I, 
full of admiration actually and I can't even imagine how tough it's been to be in those shoes and I just think it's so good that something like that you know the journey that she's been on and to be where she is now is just phenomenal and just really inspiring and I'm just pleased that she has shared her story so thank you ever so much because I do think there'll be other people out there that will hear about it you know hear that and um, I'm pretty sure she'll go on to inspire other people to maybe make you know really important choices that are going to help them have a better life as well tough stuff yeah it was and I mean I knew a bit about it before and it was the reason I asked her to come on but I mean I mm-hmm. I met her through um, a running coaching course last year or the year before last year yeah you said and, that yeah, yeah and, and like I said in the interview I absolutely you would never have guessed in a million mm-hmm. years of what she'd been through and what she was still coping with Mm-hmm. in her life and you know she got on and you know it's just a very you know when, you, when she's at a race and that sort of thing you know she's she's totally happy cheery person you know mm-hmm. mates with everybody you know she's, she knows everyone and I'm like how do you know that, that mm-hmm. person from, from you know, mm-hmm. a totally different place that she comes from but she, you know she just seems to make friends with all the, all the guys that run in and stuff and it's um, yeah, really cool. And I didn't know, you know, I helped her with her training plans for a while, and it wasn't until a wee while into that that, you know, I'd sort of seen on Facebook or something she'd been at a Narcotics Anonymous uh, meeting, and I was like, oh right, okay. <laughs> so obviously, uh, I used to be an addict of some sort, and then over time, you know, that it came out that um, she had a heroin addiction and that sort of thing and yeah jesus i mean i know you know i mentioned in the the podcast i have known a few guys who became addicted to heroin you know after i knew them and and i know of a few guys who died and all that sort of stuff and it's Mm -hmm. horrible horrible stuff and i know yeah i know you know from one or two of those guys i mentioned that it is a total nightmare to give up you know, you hear oh, these yeah. guys who've given it up and they've relapsed and given it up and relapsed and they mm-hmm. sort of go home to their folks' house and, like, steal everything out of the house to go and get a, a hit and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And, you know, it's just, it can be so devastating to to mm-hmm. around about them. So to actually, like you say, to come through the other side She's got to be so strong. It just shows you how strong yeah, she is, you know. Totally, yeah. You've got to be strong. You've got to be someone yeah. in there to get out. Because it can get anyone. You know, addictions. Yeah. Oh, God. So like we spoke about mental health being indiscriminate. Mm-hmm. Addiction is yeah. indiscriminate as well. There's no... Yeah. Oh, totally. A particular type of person or whatever. It's, a, it's, a, it's funny in the... Well, I mean, I can only comment about people really that I've met through ultra running because I haven't really done much other type of running but um, I meet so many people that have not the same story but um, sometimes sort of similar stories because 
running itself lends itself to being quite addictive, you know. So you can rep almost like replace one addictive trait with another, mm -hmm. and certainly um, running's a, a good one. <laughs> you know, it's not a bad thing to be addicted to. Really. No, it's definitely not. But it's. I think more the more people share um, these stories, I think it'll change like a couple of things. Really, it'll help other people to talk about their, you know, their past and not maybe not feel so um, bad about it. Maybe I don't know if that's how people feel, but and but also maybe change the stigma. Yeah. And make other people realise who don't understand, um, and that haven't been educated to understand what it's like might have you know be in a better position to help people so maybe if that makes sense yeah, yeah absolutely so. and I, I yeah when I was thinking the same as you in, in terms of the stigma in particular is really important yeah I think so. you can you can listen to a story like this one and realize that you know mm -hmm. that that person who is a drug addict, is a human being, and correct, yeah. They've not like I think I said that in the podcast as in the interview as well. Nobody chooses to be a heroin addict. Nobody wakes up one exactly. day. Fancy being a heroin addict now, you know? It's yeah. Just, lots of things can lead you down that path, and you know. Mhm. And just understand yeah. that, yeah, how hard it is. And how hard it is to then get yourself out of it. Yeah. And not. And not attach stigma to someone who either is an addict or is an ex-addict because it doesn't help in any way. Mm -hmm. you know, just give them a bloody chance, you know, and uh, mm -hmm. let them go on with their lives and help them, you know. That's far exactly. Far yeah, and, exactly. Uh, you know, using the yeah. sort of derogatory terms that people use about people, uh, drug addicts and things oh, like that, and totally. just, you know, yeah. assume the worst of everyone. It's yeah. Mm -hmm. yes yeah, so, yeah so I think it's very inspiring and I'm just I think it's a great great interview yeah really good yeah, so, um, yeah and that feeds nicely into the, the running saved my life theme uh, oh, well. so, I, mean, she, I don't think it applies that running saved her life at all but I think it really helps her um, mm -hmm. to continue on her positive path and not just Absolutely. running in particular, but you know, exercise and physical well-being to help her mm -hmm. mental well-being. You know, I think it's really important. And I, I forgot to mention at the start, actually, when we were talking about that as the theme of the podcast, I, I fully intended to to share a bit of my story from the last month when uh, when I lost my dad, actually. And so I, I won't go into too much detail, but my dad had been. So my dad was, as a young man and a middle-aged man, a very fit guy. He played football till he was 40, and he kept himself really fit. He, he did running himself, but just as a mode of fitness, he wouldn't have probably done any races, I don't think. But he was like, you know, probably a bit of a machine, you know, up until he was about 40, you know. And um, But he always smoked, which was his downfall in the end. Um and he was an alcoholic for, I don't really know how long he was an alcoholic for, but in my teens and 
early 20s anyway, and he was an alcoholic before that, because he was an alcoholic before I knew. I had been sort of sheltered mm. from it for a while. Um, and I mean, he was in a really bad way for a while, but he, he got a he got a shock. He he got really, he was really unwell at my graduation ceremony, um, and he was told he had to stop drinking or he was going to die, basically. And he did. He stopped. Unbelievable. He stopped. So that was 16, wow. 16 years ago. Crazy. And he did. He fell off the wagon a couple of times, but mm-hmm. genuine. Generally, he hadn't been drinking for like six years, and then maybe drank again for a wee while, and then maybe another six or seven years without any any booze. Yeah. So, but he didn't give up smoking until he was forced to, a bit like the drinking. So the smoking had led mm-hmm. to him losing a leg, and then led to him having uh, <clears throat> lung disease, and it was a lung disease that, that killed him in the end. So, um, but it was all a bit of, despite all of that, over the years, and me thinking I was ready for that to happen at any minute, because he'd mm-hmm. been close calls before and all the rest of it. He'd been in hospital for a few weeks, and the week before he died, I was told by the doctors he was going to get something wrong with his heart, some sort of heart condition as well, and they were going to manage it, and he was going to get home and all this sort of stuff. But then felt like out of the blue. My brother got told the night before he died, um, yeah, your dad's not going to come home this time. But Oh, my so, God. So we sort of thought he was going to be in hospital for a wee while. You know, he was just going to keep him comfortable and mm-hmm. all that stuff and thought I had a bit more time with him and then uh, I was actually I was working in Aberdeen he was in the hospital in Aberdeen I was working that day and I'd been on the running track that morning sort of thinking about all the things I was going to speak to my dad about later that day um, you know just try and have those conversations that you wish you'd had with people who'd mm-hmm. died you know? and I thought oh, I've got a chance here to go and, and I'd been kind of doing that anyway I'd been speaking to my dad a lot uh, when he was in the hospital, just to try and keep his spirits up and stuff anyway, because he was a bit morbid about the, about the last week or so anyway. I think he knew it was coming, you know, despite mm-hmm. everyone else saying it wasn't. And um, I actually totally smashed this <laughs> session of the track uh, that morning. Went into work in a pretty good mood. And then I got a phone call from my brother about 20 past nine. So I'd only been in the office for about half an hour. Um, and he was like, yeah, you have to get to the hospital. ASAP, you just got a phone call, blah, blah, blah. So I just, you know, dropped everything and went to the hostel. But he'd already died um, oh. after 9 o'clock. So um, before they'd even phoned my brother, actually, I think he'd passed mm. away. So, yeah, it was a bit of a shock, really. Um, so obviously the initial dealing with all that crap, but to get on to the, the running thing, I, later that day... You know, I just, I had to go for a run. I just was, yeah. I got home, it wasn't, it was like maybe three o'clock or something. And, you know, my wife had sort of made, taken control of everything in terms of the kids and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I got home, there was nobody here. And I was like, I just need to go out and get some fresh air and just went for like a five mile run or something. And then I think I maybe didn't go out the next day, but I was like, Totally climbing the walls. To be honest, I was just like yeah. headspace, and I went out and did like a 16 mile run round about Mormon Hill, um, and was out for about two hours or so. And I guess when I came in, I said to my wife, "He was like, I really needed that. I was out for two hours and five minutes, say, 
and thought about my dad for about two hours and three minutes of it. You know, it was just like that kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it did really help. Um, it's just time, isn't it? It's that yeah, time you need time to, to start leaving. Yeah. yeah. And um. And yeah, I did. I only missed about three days of running. You know, I was I was actually mm-hmm. making a point of going out because it was one thing that was helping. Really helping yeah. that. Just think about stuff. So having my own space to think about my dad and think about what I was mm-hmm. going to say. Like, I spoke at his funeral and that sort of thing. So thinking about what I was going to say at his funeral and yeah, all that kind of stuff. And it was, you know, like I wrote, more or less wrote in my head what I was going to say at his funeral when I was out in a run, that sort of thing, you mm-hmm. know, and it was really, really helped. So there's a two things. So that's good to go and get the space away from everything. The two total contradict that real contradiction but then the other thing was actually speaking when I was in company just like speaking about it and speaking mm-hmm. about my dad and stuff and yeah so uh, it was really good and you know I think it really helped yeah. to, to get through that initial couple of weeks I was I, I was walking about in a bit of a daze for a week or two I think really, to be honest, you know so that's two pretty important things there, isn't it? You know, yeah, being able to think about stuff and get exercise, but like also saying being able to talk about things. And yeah, I think that's come up in a couple of the interviews that you've done now, you know, where people have said, like, don't shy away, don't yeah. ignore what's happened. Like, it's mm-hmm. okay to ask me and it's okay to talk to me about what's going on in my life. Yeah, that's really and important. Then, yeah, so. and, and then you just sort of open up a little bit about that as well. So I last week so my dad passed away on the 26th oh yeah that's right I was forgetting about this another reason I was walking about in a, in a daze was uh, my dad passed away on the 22nd of May it's my daughter's birthday on the 23rd we were oh. folk, around, folk around to the house and everything we were a house full of folk so I was like trying to enjoy my daughter's birthday but I was struggling a bit and I had my brother-in-law's 50th birthday party another two days after that and, you know, so it was like, didn't really have that space otherwise, you know. So yeah. I don't that. But then, so that's 22nd of May, right? So a month, a little bit less than a month later, um, last week, yeah, last Monday, when I was coming home from work, um, I had a couple of weeks off work, and when I was coming home from work on the Monday, I can't remember if it was my first day back, it might have been, um, I got this, like, something I've never really struggled with before I've had I don't know if it's stress or depression or what it is but I've had a few episodes of that in my life where things are a bit I just find things a little bit overwhelming and it passes in a couple of days mm-hmm. but this was different this was like anxiety and yeah. I've never really experienced anxiety in any shape before and I didn't really know it was anxiety to start with but I just was feeling really um, stressed I couldn't really put my finger on it. You know, I'd left work. Okay. It wasn't like it wasn't like work was bothering me. But I was I was speaking <laughs> to my wife about it um on the uh, Monday this week or Sunday this week because I, I I had this all week until maybe Friday. Um and I'd gone out for a run on the Friday night, which was the summer solstice evening, me and a mate went up oh, yeah. mm-hmm. late on. And actually, I had a yap to him and stuff, and, and then I was feeling better after that. But it was like, oh, we got this sort of underlying anxiety, and I was like struggling to concentrate and all this sort of stuff. But 
<laughs> I said to my wife on the Sunday night, I was like, right, I'm getting up early tomorrow to go for a run because I didn't go for a run on Monday for the first time in God knows how long. I didn't go for a run on a Monday morning. And I wonder if that <laughs> was linked to it. Just then, throwing everything off. But it wasn't that at all. As it happened, I, um, <clears throat> I, I, I can't remember what, why, but for some reason I didn't. I wasn't up early enough. I think went to bed later than intended. And my one of my kids was probably up through the night or something, and I landed up not being able to drag myself out of bed in time. But I thought I did just about have enough time, so I chucked my running gear on and I drove into Aberdeen to go to work. And then I was like, oh, I'm not going to have enough time here, actually. So I normally park my car in a particular place if there's a space there. But if I can't get a space in that bit, which is handy for work, I have to drive a little bit further down the road. <clears throat> and as I was approaching it, I was thinking, ah, I might not get a space to do a bit later. And, uh, and then, it, then it clicked in my mind. I was like, hang on a minute. Last Monday, I was late into work, and I had to park in that other place down the road and the last time I had to do that was the morning my dad died uh, so I, what happened I think was I had parked in that place walked to work and stuff but then when I had to do the walk from the office to the car just brought it all back I, I wasn't even thinking about it I didn't at the time I wasn't mm. thinking about it but somewhere in my subconscious it must have been reliving that mm. Off the brain stroke run to my to my yeah. car and uh, thinking I was going to see my dad for the last time, but I actually didn't even get to see him. But yeah, I think that's what it was, and uh, what a weird thing because it then stuck with yeah. me all week. I couldn't shake it at all, and then but now that I know that happened, I, I think that's what it must have been. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I have to park there again, which I haven't had to do since, but I think it'll be fine because I'll... I'll you I'll, know, you're I'll prepared for it. Yeah. And I will actually think about... Had I been thinking about my dad and stuff, thinking about mm-hmm. the fact that that's the journey I made, it probably wouldn't have been different, but it was just... Yeah, it could easily be. Uh, yeah, so mm. weird. So weird. So, yeah, I think that... Yeah. I think confronting these things and talking about them and, and that sort of thing is, is important. And um Yeah, totally. No, you're right. But whilst whilst that, that subject I thought I would like to mention it's not really running related at all. We're not really talking about running stuff at the moment I guess, but um <laughs> there's a guy in well he's from Fraser, but I think he, he does live in Aberdeen now, uh, a comedian called Ray Thompson, who just started this thing days ago called Man Chat Aberdeen. It's on Facebook. Oh, brilliant. Um, he's been talking about it on his Facebook page about, you know, men need to talk more and need to open up about mental health issues and that sort of thing. And he just sort of went, fuck it, I'm going to start this thing called Man Chat Aberdeen. Group of guys go somewhere and just talk to each other. Anyone who's struggling drop me a message and ask me where that's going to be and I'll tell you where the meetup's going to be. And it, his page has exploded with that's likes. Brilliant. I mean, like, I checked yesterday and he was over a thousand likes in about three days or something. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible, one. isn't it? Yeah. And he, but Saturday, he set the page up. That's right, because I read an article today about it. Um, he set the page up on Saturday and he saved a guy's life on Saturday. Somebody wow. messaged him on the page. 
and said, there's an article in the Evening Express or something about it, this guy had messaged his page and said, you know, I'm thinking about ending it all. This is a father of two married guy. I just can't cope anymore. And he, he basically talked to him and said, look, just hold off until Wednesday. We've got our meeting on Wednesday. Can you do that? Just do it for me. Nobody else, do it for me. And the guy just brought got some comfort from the fact that somebody was speaking to somebody about it and somebody was listening to him and he, he did exactly what Ray had asked him to do and he went to the meeting on Wednesday and at the moment he's fine. Not fine uh, would be an exaggeration, but you know he's he hasn't No, he's I know what you mean. He's yeah. And, and that's yeah, getting the support. Saved the life of somebody's dad, you know. Amazing. So uh, he's, that he's is strong. coverage in the local press, he was an interview in Original 106, the local radio station up in the northeast, and he has, I saw on his Facebook just there a bit earlier on, that he's been contacted by Radio One's Newsbeat to do an interview that might feature tomorrow mm-hmm. on tomorrow's uh, Radio One, wow. show, which is just absolutely bonkers, just in Western. Yeah, week, that's so, brilliant. That's yeah. really good. Um, so anyone, give, go and give that page a like and share mm-hmm. it and that sort of thing. That's really useful. If anyone does happen to be listening to this who has who is struggling at all, go and check those guys out. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're in Aberdeen. I mean you can't go to an Aberdeen meeting if you're in the United States or something, but there will be something local for you, I'm sure. There will always be somebody willing to listen. And if you have nobody else to speak to you, send me a message, <laughs> to be honest, or Jenny, you know. We will, we will yeah, definitely speak sure. to Jenny is a mental well-being champion. Is that the right? <laughs> yeah, for Jock Scotland. Yeah. So Jenny has had training and stuff, and I haven't, but I will always listen. So anyway, that's uh, a bit of a side, a side step from running, but I think it's important to talk about these things anyway. <clears throat> and it's our podcast, so we talk about anything we like, can't we? Yeah. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, sort of loosely linked to how running can save your life. And anyway, uh, mental health sort of struggles, give exercise a try as well, you know, of any sort. Go out yeah. for a walk, get some fresh air. Totally. Yeah, it can really help. And thanks for talking about your dad. I think that's was going to help people as well. Yeah. Tough and have, a tough time yeah, for you. I don't, I don't have any issues about talking about my dad. I don't know if I would have in the past no. if it happened, but I'm. Good. I suppose I've been quite open about it anyway, because I've always, you know, if it's ever came up, I'm quite yeah. open about the fact my dad struggled with his uh, alcoholism, and it probably comes yeah. up in conversation because I don't drink. I haven't drank for the last sort of four or five mm-hmm. years, and some people will go, "Why don't you drink?" <laughs> and <laughs> I'm sure it's got something to do with my dad. I think that um, uh, yeah. yeah, I'll often have that conversation, and it leads on to talking about my dad's uh, problems. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coping. Somebody asked me yesterday. Um, I told him about my dad, and he was like, "How are you getting on?" And I was like, "I'm fine." He was like, "Are you fine?" Or is that your northeast bloke answer? <laughs> and I was like, "No, fine is what I mean because it's not like I'm not. It's not all rosy, but I'm okay." You know? Yeah, you're uh, getting on good. Some things sometimes sort of <clears throat> remind me about you know something or, or whatever. But, but mm-hmm. I tell you. Um, I went back to football, which is massively influenced by the fact my dad passed away, actually, and yeah. tomorrow, tomorrow evening, my team is playing 
in a cup final, the local cup Ooh. final. Oh, good luck. Final, which is one I haven't won before. I've won a lot of cups <laughs> before, but not our own one. So if, okay. I win that, I, if I can win that tomorrow, well, not me personally, but if our team can win that tomorrow, I will be dedicating that to my dad, definitely. So, oh, that's uh, lovely. So we better win. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not dead, I'm not dedicating a cup final loss to my dad. That would be a bit crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, again, I suppose so. I'll reiterate that if anyone wants to speak about anything, I'd be happy to, to um, drop me a message. Um, but yeah, look up man chat Aberdeen, definitely. Um, okay, so we'll move on, I guess, from all of that stuff. And we kind of touched on what's coming up next couple of weeks. But I'll, I'll go first, I suppose, running-wise. I have stepped away from from racing and stuff. I do have a few events in the calendar, but um, the focus is obviously my, mm-hmm. my, I say my, hour. You're joining in too, Jenny, the 12-hour thing at Mormon Hill yeah. um, on the 14th of September. So I like, yeah, maybe put a shout out about that. I've done it on Facebook, but we need some help. Volunteers to help with marshalling, with covering the aid station. Um, I think we were going to have a licensed bar at the after-party thing that's maybe going to prove to be a step too far. But if there does have <laughs> someone out there who's got, who is a licensed person and knows about that stuff, and would be happy to do it for, uh, as a volunteer or for, to give us sort of some of the money as, uh, the takings of the bar or whatever for the charity, because uh, the charities I should mention are Hamish Deer's Warm Hugs and Kaylee's Wee Stars, and those charities are amazing and I want to raise as much money for them as we possibly can which is why I want to do a licensed bar and stuff but um, we may have to step away from that because it's just one thing extra to organise and I'm hoping that the, the sponsorship mm-hmm. we get will will rake in plenty of cash for the charities anyway yeah. but um, but yeah if there is anyone out there that can help with that sort of thing because I think we need like, a licensed person and a licensed bouncer and all this sort of stuff and We'll be fit for nothing after. I know, I know, I'm not not escorting Andy out or into the building. Let's just get the running done. That's why we kind of need help with this stuff, because we can't go in and that sort of stuff ourselves. We need to be fed and cheered. Yeah, even if the help consists of coming to Stricken on the 14th of September and cheering us on, people to go up the hill and cheer us on up the hill would be cool, you know, and... It's, it's a pretty cool well. place to hang out. So yeah, it's all, it's all very well getting cheered on at the Ritchie Hall or in the streets of Strickland, mm-hmm. but where it's going to be tough is... Uh, it'll be tough there. But yeah, tough at the top. Go again, but mm-hmm. up in the actual hill will be tougher going, especially once you're yeah. in the second half of the day. But Yeah, and anyone who wants to run, um, I was initially sort of trying to kind of limit it to folk who were going to do attempt the 12 hours, but there's loads of people who have shown interest in just doing a lap yeah. or laps or whatever they can do, and that's that'd totally be good. cool, actually. So anyway, yeah, that'd be good. And that, yeah, if anyone wants to do one, like one lap or two laps, maybe they could come and join some of us when we're at the latter stages and try. Yeah, yeah but because we come down at six o'clock and do one lap and then bugger off. That's cool. <laughs> Obviously, that's cool, but um. We, it would help us probably when we're our legs have given yeah. and our minds have packed in as well. But uh, 
So anyway, yeah. that's the 14th of September. If you check out our Facebook page, you'll find the post on that. I need to do some more sharing of that as well. It's been shared quite a bit, which is cool. Um, Facebook.com slash Explore Running. If you look up Explore Running, you'll find it. Um, so that's a plug for the Facebook page anyway that we normally do. Um, you'll find stuff on there about what we do. Um, I've taken a little bit of a step back with all the different Explore Running stuff. I'm, I'm only doing training plans at the moment. So if anyone needs any help with their, their training, give me a shout. But uh, otherwise, keep an eye for updates in the future. And please share your uh, share this episode as well, actually, because there's a lot of important messaging in this episode. Anyway, so I haven't actually spoken about the next two weeks yet. I went on to the next bit. So for me, running-wise, next two weeks, um, just running in between playing football, actually, and trying to get a couple of good long ones in my plan. I'm not entirely sure how sensible a, a step up this is, but I'll get try it anyway. So I did two laps for 16 miles last week, three laps for 24 miles mm -hmm. this weekend past. Saturday morning, I'm going to go out and attempt to do four. And then ideally, I want to do five the following week. So it's 40 miles up and down that hill. That will be probably six mm -hmm. Plus hours, which is I think is going to be the longest training run I'll do. I don't, I don't think there's any, yeah. doing any more than that. I would agree. After, yeah. after I've done, hopefully completed those two, I will juggle about with what I do in terms of the long run. All, all the yeah. since, since going back to football has just been easy runs. Occasionally I chuck in a fast couple of miles at the end to try and loosen my legs off. But my legs are just like... I'm sitting here with my hamstrings just really tight after playing football two nights ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just trying to loosen the Keep a funny. ticking over with the mileage, but no actual training sessions because I'm doing the harder stuff. Yeah. It's not the same, but the focus is just about being able to go all day. Uh, just a yeah. fart look back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really short and sharp stuff. So. Yeah. Uh, it'll strengthen me up, so that'll be good. Anyway, your next couple of weeks, Jen, have you got anything exciting lined up? Oh, I'm just trying to stay in one piece for <laughs> Lakeland, so yeah, I'll let you know how Lara Grey goes, but as I oh, say, Lara I'm Grey, taking yeah, it's on Sunday. But it's just Sunday, Sunday, but it's just taking it, taking it easy, yeah. taking it easy, so nothing too yeah, exciting. So just I, I wanted keep to enter that. On. I wanted to enter Lara Grey this year as a training run, more or less, for this thing we're talking about. But I thought it was going to be this weekend just past. Yeah, normally kind of sides of that. So I forgot all about it because I was supposed to be doing a personal training course. Um, uh. I cancelled all that stuff. I was going to do a fitness training and a personal training course. It was all in about the time my dad passed away and I hadn't done yeah. stuff. And I just... I can go on the course with you within the next 12 months or something because I've already paid for it. But mm -hmm. uh, that's sort of by the by. But I, I landed up not being busy on the 23rd, which was <laughs> Ithin Challenge Day, which was a lot. Ah, that's right. So yeah. I also quite fancy doing that because I've never done it before. But what I agree was actually the 30th. And I think I would have been able mm -hmm. to make that day, but it sold out so quickly. It was sold out before I, I realised it was open. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, never happened in the end. It's um, alright, you'll be busy running up and down Mormon until you'll be fine. I will be, yeah. I'll do, <laughs> I'll do, yeah, I'll do more miles than you will, actually. I'll, I'll hopefully do I know, there you go. Yeah. That's the well, first. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, um, so yeah, you're just keep sort of ticking over over the next few weeks. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. A lot of Have you done a lot of group before? Yeah, yeah. Like, this will be my fifth time. So. Cool. Cool. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, funny. pretty amazing scenery around there. Isn't yeah, it? I know what to expect. So it'll be mm-hmm. fine. It'll be good. It'll be a good day out. Yeah. Are any of um guys I was doing a running coaching course? Um, uh, no. Well, he did West. Yeah, he did West Halloway last weekend. Oh, did he? So yeah. So he did really well. He did sub twenty. Hours, um, yeah, man. He was, yeah, he was flying, absolutely flying. So yeah, he managed to nail sub twenty. So, bit of a legend, but um, usual Kev. He's been out running since. He's uh, still taking over. I think he. He actually. Do you want to know what he did? This is mental, and I didn't click how mental it was. But he did. So he did the did the race. It's like ninety seven miles now because it's a bit longer. Um, did it in sub 20, went to bed, and then him and his training crew went for a wee morning run up Ben Nevis, <laughs> and they didn't go right. He didn't go right to the top. He was what? like, oh, I didn't go that. He was like, I didn't go right to the top. But I just went up a little bit. But wow. I was like, even so, just I know I should have said that. <laughs> I was just like, I was like, what? What? I didn't run for about well, three weeks after I did so West Island Way. Ben Nevis. I have not climbed Ben Nevis before. I've been years and years ago. We were just some sort of camping trip. My wife and I, um, my fiance at the time, I think, we did a little camping trip. No idea where we were going. Just like jumped in the car and found a campsite. <laughs> and, and we, we camped at Glen Nevis for one or two nights. And we, we just had a walk up a little bit. We were totally, we weren't hill walkers or anything. We did no gear. So we didn't. We, we did the sensible thing and went up a little bit. It was a foggy day and stuff, and we just sort of had yeah. a walk up the, the mountain path. And, and it weren't even on Ben Nevis. I know that now. Um, <laughs> we just came, came to, you know, the, the first bit of the path is on a different mountain. So anyway, uh, yeah. that was years ago. But we were down again in Fort William. Mm, was that last? Last April. Um, and I really, really wanted to run up Ben Nevis, that was what I was thinking about when we booked it. And it well, that, that wasn't the only reason, but when we booked Fort William, I thought, oh, that'll be cool. I'm going to run up Ben Nevis, that'll be ace. But I, I was just coming back to running after um, having a chest infection for two months. No oh, God. And it was, it, it was still totally covered in snow at the top, so oh, it, was, it, it wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going to run at the top, but I did have a run up, a bit like you're saying Kev did some of it. Yeah, it's a bloody roasting hot day actually, even though it was snow in the top. Yeah, and um, it was so much harder than I thought it was going to be. Mhm. I mean, I it's a big deal. I'll run up there, you know, slowly, but I'll manage it comfortably enough. But Jesus, I, I mean, I was a little yeah. bit out of shape as well because I hadn't been training. But yeah, it was a way tougher. Yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it was cool. Oh no. Photos and stuff. But yeah, so I right, what a yeah, yeah, absolute legend. So yeah, he won't be running. <laughs> He'll be running, but he won't be running Laragoo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. 
So anyway, uh, that's maybe talked about enough. Nonsense. Yeah, ranted on for far too long. <laughs> made, made up enough for being offline for nearly two months. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. So, so like I said, share if if you if you uh, have listened to this, I'd really appreciate it if you could share with anyone that has got any sort of mental health struggles or you know shares anything with our guest about addictions and overcoming stuff like that you know if you could share the episode that would be really appreciated um by us but also by the people that it would hopefully find mm-hmm. um and give us a rating on the podcast as well um that helps to, to spread the word a little bit so um and get in touch if you've got any any issues like i said or any questions or any running related queries or whatever you know um or if you want to get yeah. involved with the mormon hill thing that would be fantastic so for now we will say bye and hopefully it will just be two yeah. weeks before we speak to you again um, <laughs> we've got an interview i've already interviewed um the five scottish 5000 meter record holder Eilish mccogan so that'll be the next episode to look out for um, but we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks time yay all Excellent. right cool right see you Be later guys. bye